Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Hey, lots of great things happening in the life of church. You guys need to know that On Track is starting next Sunday. Make sure that uh, if you've never been part of Life Founder, you want to be part of that, get your life on track and Life Activated starts on the Tuesday after that. Connect groups are also on this week. Again, so many things happening in the life of church. What you've got on your seats are Mother's Day invites. They are no good on your seats and in the church. They are powerful though in the hands of someone that needs to come and hear the gospel on Mother's Day. We want to honour mothers here at Nations Church. Mother's Day is coming up. You will hear all about that as well. Also, uh, we have our chapel service. Once a month, we're here at our Myrie campus. We have a chapel service, which runs on a Wednesday, Wednesday morning. And so if that is the time of the day, particularly if you're watching online and maybe you have shift work and you're, you're, you have a, a roster that, that doesn't enable you to be in the room on Sunday and uh, you want to avail yourself to our midweek chapel service, we've got one this Wednesday. Who's ready for the Word of God? Why don't you stand to your feet, read with me scripture, Psalm 23. It's, it's a psalm that is very, very familiar to many of you that may have been walking with the Lord for a long time. But here's the thing about familiarity. We can, we can treat familiar things with contempt. However, the 23rd Psalm is powerful to change your life today. No matter how, how many times you've heard it, it says here, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Say, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If that did your soul good, just give God a big shout of praise today. (laughs) Grab your seat. Grab your seat. This is quite possibly, like I said, the most well-known psalm in the Bible. How many of you have heard that psalm before? Even if you don't come to church, it's your first time in the house of God, it's quite possibly you've heard maybe one or two lines from this psalm. Maybe outside of John 3.16, it is the most well-loved, well-remembered, well-quoted of texts out of Scripture. And I think the reason for that is because as Christians, we love this passage because it resonates um, in our spirit about what this passage is trying to say. It's really hard to ascertain the time of writing for the 23rd Psalm. Some people say that David wrote it when he was a shepherd boy. But if you actually read the passage of Scripture, it talks about um, having enemies. It talks about the danger of death. It talks about experiencing rest, experiencing prosperity. So it's highly likely that David wrote this as a seasoned king. Most scholars concur that he wrote this probably when uh, he was actually in a dark time of his life, probably when he was at Manaheim where his own son Absalom had rebelled against him and was fighting against his own army. So how many of you know having your own son in conflict with you is a very difficult thing? He was obviously grief-stricken. He was uh, heartbroken. And um, David found himself in a place in his life where he is needing something from God that, that all of us, no matter how long you've been journeying with God for, uh, you are also going to need. And I believe that this is a very powerful um, teaching today that, that I really one week out from Easter, I want to talk to you about what comes after Resurrection Sunday. What is the aftermath of the gospel? How do we live so we know that Jesus died and he rose again? What, in what way does the gospel continue to play a power or a part in our lives beyond the Easter message? So today I want to speak to you on the thought, the power of restoration. 
The power of restoration. My team told me that the 11 a.m. service is the quiet service. I think you're going to prove them wrong today. Is that a, can you prove me wrong today? I know that you guys have, have masks on, but they're not muzzles. So if something resonates in your heart today, uh, just say amen and, and, and agree with me. But the word restore, the one that David uses in the 23rd Psalm, essentially means to re, be reestablished as a person to your original intended design. The person that God created you or your soul to be. And to be restored to that is to be reestablished to that original condition. How many of you know that God intended for every person in this room, every person in the sound of my voice, everyone that's watching online, God has an intention for you that you live your best life in Him. It's four of you, four of you agree. The rest of you, nah, God doesn't want that for me. God has an intention. Jesus died and rose again for you to live the best life here on earth for you. He hasn't called you to live my life and I am not called to live your life, but He's called you to live your most fruitful, best life in Him. But how many of you know that as we continue on in life here, life happens to us? How many of you had a bit of life happen to you? How do you got some war wounds to show that life has happened to you? We all experience while we're here on earth continually, even as believers, we experience the brutality of what life can throw at us. Rejection, sickness, heartache, disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement, things not padding out the way that we thought. I reckon right across our city and all the cities of the world today that are, that are watching online behind every apartment, behind every suburban house door, are people of all different manners of walks of life that life has happened to them. When I read the 23rd Psalm, I actually, I actually ask the question, it's, if it's written by a king, why does a king need restoration? This is the most powerful man in the, in the entire land. How does he write these words? He restores myself. What does this guy need from God by way of restoration? He's got everything he wants. He's got everything at his whim that he could have as a king. And yet Jesus, and yet David recognizes that God is the only one that can restore the state of his own heart right where he is right now. Life has happened to him. His son has rebelled. It's very messy. One of his other sons had, 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 had killed his, his, his own brother. It's just, it's just crazy right now. Stuff, stuff's going on in his own family life. And he feels like even though he is king, his soul is not where it needs to be in God. And so David cries out, would you restore my soul? It's a declaration in faith that this God that he has is going to restore him to his original intended design. And I believe that today, restoration is available for every believer who says yes to Jesus. You need to understand that the, the, the gospel in its DNA is restoration. The restoration power of God is in the DNA of the gospel. And if there's anything that you need to catch, what next beyond Easter? It's simply this. Write this down if you need to. The gospel doesn't just save every lost person, but it restores every saved person. From the moment that we say yes to Jesus, we live in the power of the resurrection and all of those things. But beyond that, what next? I want to suggest to you today that every day that you live here on the earth and continue to walk the journey with God, life can happen to you that set you back. But the gospel is at its most powerful for every believer when you tap into the power of restoration that the gospel gives to you in different seasons of your life. David was in one of the darkest times of his life, even as king, he probably would have looked out of his palace window and probably daydreaming and thinking about 
where his heart is at. It's nowhere near where it should be. His heart is weighed down with the issues of life. And he flashes back to being a shepherd. And as he begins to write these words inspired by the Holy Spirit in the 23rd Psalm, he talks about being a shepherd. Jewish shepherds, their entire goal in life, their life goals as a shepherd, is to create the happiest flock of sheep they can possibly have. They know that if the sheep are happily free-ranging, going from green pasture to green pasture, drinking from the freshest brooks, they will produce the best wool and the best milk. Understand that, right? Right? It's not like, a, not, not like in, in, in modern farms where they, they, they just pump out products for the sake of it. Jewish shepherds understood that if they cared for and wanted the best life for their sheep, the sheep would return to them the best wool and milk and they would be at their most fruitful best. Make sense to you guys. How much more so does the great shepherd Almighty God, desire for you to live your best life. And when we don't, when life happens to us, God goes on a restorative mission. He goes on a mission to restore you back to the man or the woman God actually intended for you to be. If there's areas in your life right now where you know that you are not where you need to be because life has just happened, you need to know that the gospel is already at work behind the scenes, knocking on the door of your heart saying, would you receive me afresh, believer? Because I want to restore you. No one is above the restorative power of God and no one is beyond the restorative power of God. And here is adding amen. No one's life here is so cruisy that you will never need the restorative power of God. Even a king understood that life sometimes just happens to us. On top of that, you also need to understand that David knew that there was nothing in his life that would be beyond the restorative power of God. Even adultery and sin did not put him beyond the restorative power of God. You need to understand today, maybe you're here and you're, the life that, that you're living now and the, the quiet conversation of your heart is, I think I'm a little bit past God restoring me. I want to say that that's not the gospel. There is nowhere that you've been, nothing that you've done that the long arms of this restorative power of God cannot reach you. You just go and I dare you to go talk to some prison chaplains. I dare you to go talk to some hospital chaplains. They'll tell you there is no life that can happen to a person where the gospel cannot reach them and restore them right where they're at. The gospel is restorative in its power and it's restorative in its nature. There is no different types of gospel. There's one gospel there for like the destitute and the broken and another gospel over there for uh, like, you know, the, the people that have, a, have, have uh, genuine had life circumstances. But then like, you know, maybe a, a not so powerful gospel because these people don't quite deserve it. It's for like the people that like willingly make stupid decisions. and for, the, the gospel restores everybody. Come on, are you out there? The gospel is irrespective and indiscriminate. In fact, in our modern Thinking, we often think that for the gospel to be restorative, a person needs to deserve it. We have a deserve it mentality that people need to be worthy of the restorative power of the gospel. Jesus debunks all of that in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, Jesus speaks about a parable called, we know as the parable of the prodigal son. How many of you have heard that? Most people consider the parable of the prodigal son as the gospel parable because it most uh, beautifully conveys the gospel to us. So Luke chapter 15, Jesus says in the most provocative of Jewish ways, he talks about how a rich father has two sons and the youngest of the two says the most shocking thing to his dad. He says, dad, 
I want an early inheritance. Now, that is not just disrespectful, but if you read between the lines, what he's actually saying to his dad is, Dad, I wish you were dead. To make matters worse, the way Jesus tells it has like a double shock factor because Jesus then goes on to say that the father actually gives the son everything he asks for, gives him his lot of the inheritance. And then the Bible then goes on to say that Jesus, the way Jesus describes it is that this younger son goes and squanders it on prodigal living, just literally blows all that money until he finds himself in one of the darkest seasons of his life where he's spent it all and he's eating from the trough with pigs. The day comes when he comes to his senses, he makes his way back to his father's house and on the way he reasons with himself by saying, oh, I, I think I need to go back to the father's house because the life I'm living right now is not the life that I used to have. Remember, he came from his father's house. He had all of the covering. He had all of the benefits. He had all of the favor. Come on now. Hello. And now he's finding himself eating with the pigs. And so on the way home, he thinks in reasons to himself, well, I, I, I know I need to be back where I was. I need to be restored back. But I'm no longer worthy it says here in Luke 15 verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Here's that worthiness thinking. And he arose and came to his father and he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his, son and, uh, on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son. Notice how the father doesn't call him a servant. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Oh, I need a preaching on this. Here is the restorative power of the gospel. Here is this son who understood I am not living the life I used to be. I need to be reinstated to my former intended design, which is to be in my father's house under my father's covering. So he makes his way back to the father's house. On the way, he says, I'm not worthy to be restored. So I'm going to earn my way to restoration, earn my way. I'm going to take the punishment that is due to me. And I'm going to come to my father as a servant, but the father refuses to use the very label that he's used on himself. Are you, are you guys catching this? And the father says, I refuse to call you servant. I'm going to call you son. And then he says to his true servants, I want you to bring the best robe for my son, signifying covering again. See that beautiful picture. And I want you to put a ring on his finger, symbolizing covenant again. I want you to put shoes on his feet, symbolizing dignity again. Everything that this son had, it was now restored to him, not because he earned it, but because of who his father, this is the gospel right there. The restoration of your life to the life God intended for you to live says nothing about you, but everything about him. And so here is this beautiful picture of the father restoring the son, and he is waiting. If you're here today, and you know that there are certain parts of your life, areas of your life right now, where you are not living the way God intended for you to live. You, maybe, maybe life has just happened. Circumstances have knocked you back and you know that you've just accepted this part of your life where you're literally not where God 
wants you to be, I promise you right now, you've got a father that's waiting from afar off, scouring to and fro for you to simply turn towards him. And the father doesn't even wait for the son to come back, knock on the door, open the door, go, what do you want? Mind you, this was the son that said, I wish you were dead. Hello. But he was waiting for the son afar off. Any opportunity he gets at even a, a suggestion of you preparing your heart to be restored, the gospel is right there for you. And I want to say this to you today. People punish people for their mistakes. Jesus restores people from their mistakes. We think punishment all the time, don't we? We think punishment all the time. Oh, you, that, that's too far gone. That mistake you made, that, that, that's too far gone. That, that, that thing that you did there, oh, you're going to have to... Wow, wow, can't come back from that. And we, we like to talk about other people's mistakes too, right? Because we like, we've got this morbid fascination. Oh, I told you that. Oh, that pastor there, he fell. Oh, he fell. Oh, yeah, he fell. Oh, another pastor fell. What a shame. So is these big church pastors. Fail, they fail. People punish people. Jesus restores people. Your mistakes are the perfect magnet for the restoration power of the gospel. Punishment just perpetuates the pain. Restoration breaks the cycle. Come on. The power of the gospel is in the power of restoration. You know why Jesus doesn't punish us when we fall, when we make mistakes? You know why he doesn't punish us? Because he has already been punished. Come on. Why double punishment? There's no need for it. It was a punishment once and for all, for all of us. Come on. This is the gospel. And the second reason why he doesn't punish us when we fall is because we already punish ourselves. I'm no longer worthy. New label, servant. But the gospel is restorative in nature. You know, in our day and age, I think I sense prophetically to speak into this. What I feel that the gospel is most powerful to restore us from, I think, in the 21st century, is this thing called letdowns. Have you ever been let down? A letdown is essentially where you've had an expectation that something will go a certain way, turn out a certain way, have a particular outcome, but then it just didn't turn out that way, and there's a sense of letdown. Or maybe that letdown was perpetuated by your own choices, by your own decisions, but we live a lot with this whole sense of being let down. Have you ever been let down? Seven of you? Come on. The sense that, oh man, it just hasn't turned out. The way that I thought. I reckon that in, the, in, the, in 2022, the sense of letdown is further heightened because we've got this thing called social media. We've got this thing called mainstream media. Where at the scroll of, of a screen, we can actually suggest to ourselves or create an expectation of what our life should be based on where we've seen someone else be. Oh, this person's 30. Married. Two beautiful kids. Own a house. I'm still living with mum. And it took me three minutes to make two minute noodles. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you barely, you, you can barely handle adulting. And like, this person has got like four degrees already by the time they're 28. And come on. So we create an expectation about what we need to attain to based on someone else's journey. Come on, I'm speaking to people, come on. 
No wonder we live in a perpetual state of letdown because we feel like we've let ourselves down, let other people down. Our life is a letdown and Jesus wants to restore you from this place of letdown because that someone else's success is not the success God has called you to. We live in this perpetual state of unhealthy, unnatural expectations. God never intended for you to walk someone else's path. God's called that person to be a homeowner by the time they're 28. He didn't call you to do that. He called you to do something else. Come on, are you out there? That, God's called that person to be a parent by the time they're 21. God never asked you to do that. We set up these expectations of where life ought to be based on someone else's journey. And no wonder we live in a perpetual state of letdown. And then when we feel let down, we feel we start to blame God. We start to blame circumstances. We say life has happened to us. We blame ourselves for them. You know, for, for, for me, so much of our potential is unfulfilled because we feel we can't measure up to our own expectation to attain someone else's journey. So here is the sense of let down. Maybe you're here today and you need to be restored from people letting you down. Maybe you've been hurt by church leadership. Maybe people have let you down and created this, the, the let down that you feel has attached to it a significant amount of pain, emotional pain. I want to say this to you, be restored. Yeah. Lean into the gospel, come on. Because yeah. the only person you're continuing to hurt by not allowing Jesus to restore you is the future you. Yeah. Jesus knows that the you of tomorrow yeah. is going to be so much more blessed yeah. if you choose to be restored today. Yeah. The only person you are punishing by not allowing him to restore you to your original intended design by God is the future you. You're, you're catching this today. I get it sometimes that we feel so let down by life and by ourselves that we almost write ourselves to disqualify ourselves off that the restorative gospel, power of the gospel could ever reach us. That's good. That's good for Deb Wenham because she's like a good woman, but you don't know what I've done. That restorative gospel is that's good for, for, for Leslie Pantel, but you know, my, my, I'm way more messed up than her. <laughs> Leslie and I are good friends. We know what we're talking about here. We're all just as messed up as each other, Leslie. And we have this mentality that, oh, you know, Yanka's got some, it all, all together, so you know, the, the restorative power of the gospel is good for her, but, but, but you don't know how low I am and what my life is like. One of my favorite passages of scripture is John chapter 21. And if you've been at Nation's Church for a while, you're probably rolling your eyes going, oh my gosh, he's going to preach from that passage again. It's my favorite. <laughs> John 21. Accounts for the disciple by the name of Peter. I love John 21 because Jesus has died and now is risen again. In John chapter 21, see, you've got to think about who Peter is. Peter was one of the first two disciples that Jesus actually met in the beginning of the Gospels. He comes up to the shores of Galilee, sees these two guys that are fishing, Peter and his brother Andrew, they're fishing, 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 throwing the nets out. Jesus goes up to them and says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Incredible conversation. They drop their nets, they follow Jesus. And for three years, Peter sees the miracles, all of the incredible things that Jesus, Peter was the only guy to walk on water. Hello. I, I'm a, I consider myself a man of faith, but I have never walked on water. I am on boats a lot, and the last thing I'm thinking about is actually stepping out of the boat. Hello. My best effort is like a bombie in someone else's backyard pool. That's my, that's my best effort, like dealing with water and surfaces. Peter's actually walked on water. 
He's journeyed with Jesus. He's walked closely with Jesus. And in Peter's time, he's had many different conversations with Jesus that set up this vision of the future for him, this expectation of who he can be in God. And one such conversation, Matthew 16, verse 15, where Jesus has this discourse with Peter and asks him about, who do people say that I am? And then he gets to verse 15. He says, but what about you, Peter? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered. You can see him puff his chest out. Well, Jesus, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. He would have felt like the man. Rightly so, 10 out of 10. Great answer. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Hallelujah. He would have felt like God speaks to me. And then Jesus steps it up another notch and says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Never heard of the word before. What is the church? I'll explain that to you later, Peter, but just, just take it all in right now. On this rock, I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overcome, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter would have thought, wow, I don't even know what any of that means, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> Essentially, what Jesus was saying, and, and you've got to understand, all of the narrative of Peter's life, he was actually playing and living out the restorative power of the gospel. Remember that God's original intended design was for his people to have dominion on the earth, to reflect his image. Make sense to you? We are his image. You follow me so far? Don't get quiet on me. And that's why now all the pennies begin to drop that Jesus has come to restore his people back, restore his church, giving you the keys of authority. He's deputizing the church with the authority that he originally intended for his people to have before the fall. That went down like a lead balloon. Come on now. And so here is Jesus, and he said, I'm wanting to restore this to you. And the, the Jewish picture is this, that a master of the house will only ever give the keys to the house to the head butler or one of his sons to run the house as if he would. Now it makes sense, the whole narrative of restoration. Now, he's, now we understand why Jesus is calling us, the Bible calls us to be his ambassadors. Come on, to be his representatives here on the earth because the authority that Jesus has, he's now bequeathing it to us. And he's restoring our original intended design to have dominion on the... You guys need to catch this right now. And he's restoring it to Peter saying, Peter, you are the first of this. Your life is being played out. And Jesus is upon this rock of revelation of who I am, Christ the Son of the living God. I'm going to build my church, the ecclesia. And you know, you're, what is in you, Peter, you're going to lead the, the church and you're going to be apostle of that. And the church you're going to raise up, Peter, in Jerusalem is going to reflect my heart. And now we understand the restorative nature of all of the, the Bible. Now we understand why Jesus is coming back for a bride that's without blemish. Jesus is restoring us. And Jesus has this conversation with Peter, fully knowing that only in a few months later, he's going to have a different conversation with Jesus. It's going to go a bit like this. Peter, 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 bro. I'm going to go to the cross. And when I die, you're going to be really scared. And then you're going to have some servant girls that will corner you in the street. And they're going to ask you whether, they, whether you know me or not. And Peter... Three times, you're going to say, no, I don't know nothing about Jesus. Not once, twice, but three times. And then the rooster's going to crow, coo, 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 coo. And then you're going to know 
that it's really happened? To which Peter said, no way. What are you talking about? That's rubbish. I will never deny you, Jesus. Have you ever said that to Jesus? I won't do that again, Jesus. Next minute. Have your moms yell at your kids and go, Jesus, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'll never yell at my kids again. Next morning. Do your teeth, get dressed, it's late. (laughs) Peter says, I will never deny you. And yet, here he was, he denies Jesus three times. Like a scared, petrified little child. He goes into hiding. This is the Peter that walked on water. This is the Peter that puffed his chest out. I am Peter upon this rock who built my church. With his own mistakes, he thought his life was too far gone. Little did he know that he was actually living out the restorative power of the gospel. His whole life was playing it out for us to see. So much so that he takes himself so despondent that he let himself down and he let Jesus down. That he let his own friends, the other disciples down. That he decides, I'm done. I'm cooked. This is it for me. There's no coming back for me. And if he was living in the 21st century, we'd probably read about Peter's moral fall. Oh, see that? Peter. What a shame. Again, one of these big church guys falling. Scroll. Oh, Judas, he fell too. And yet, Jesus doesn't see Peter like that. We pick up the account in John chapter 21. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself. This is the risen Savior. To the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter announced, it's all gone, done, I'm finished. I'm going back fishing. And then they said to him, we are going with you also. How many of you know that if you're being let down, you always find other friends to be let down with you? You always have some disappointed mates also, Right? They went out and immediately got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Catch this. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Very similar to the account of the road to Emmaus. He's the risen Savior. They've been walking with him for three years, John Pantel. Walking with him for three years. He shows up at the shores because they were so let down by life, they didn't even recognize who he was. Sometimes we... Walk in such great disappointment that he could even walk in the room and not even know that he's there. You could come into the atmosphere of worship, revival prayer, come up to the altar, but you're so filled with your own disappointment, refusing to be restored, that you don't even know that he's there. I want to say this to you today. The gospel has power to restore you. Come on. Peter had expectations. He had expectations. This was like, upon this rock, I'll build my church. I'm going to be there. And then here he is like, I can't believe I denied him three times. And Jesus warned me about it as well. Here he was living in his own letdown. And yet Jesus meets him at the very shores of his own letdown. In John 21 verse 15, Jesus, the risen Savior now, he's he's the glorious risen Messiah. He shows up at the shores of Galilee and he rolls up his sleeve and cleans fish. Cooks it. Serves it. That's a picture of servant leadership, isn't it? Isn't that the picture of the gospel? Then it says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? 
He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved. <laughs> he was a bit ticked off. It's like, oh, you already asked me twice. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. For every single time that Peter let himself down, Jesus restored him. Verse 19. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, what did he say? Follow me. You're not catching this. Pressure one. Three years before that, Jesus shows up at the shores of Galilee, sees two fishermen, never met them before, has a conversation with them. He says, you know the stuff that you're doing, fishing? I'll show you a better life, the life that you can never dreamed of living. And I want to make you fishers of men. Follow me. Three years, experience all that Jesus, Peter, awesome, walk on water, fantastic, brilliant, blind eyes, you know, lame walking, fantastic. Let's himself down. Takes himself back fishing. Goes back to his old life. See, the gospel isn't just satisfied with saving you. The gospel continues to work in your life to restore you. So Jesus finds, his whole life is playing out the narrative of the gospel. Jesus finds him at the, the very same shores of his disappointment. The same patch three years ago that Jesus had that first conversation with Peter. He's now having it again three years later as the risen Savior. And the same Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? To undo every single time he's let himself down and then uses these words for Peter. Peter, follow me once again. I am restoring you to the life that you once had. Come on, are you you're catching this? Follow me. These words would have reverberated around Peter's head. There is the sense that, that oh, oh, oh my gosh, this life that I'm living right now, uh, I, I'm here, but it's not where I want to, where I need to be. And here is the risen Savior, and he's asking me to be restored back to the. And if we, as we turn the pages of the Bible, John 21 finishes, we flick open the book of Acts, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. What do we see? We see the restored Peter standing up in the very city square where he was running and hiding, denying Jesus. He's standing there preaching the gospel, filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get saved and added to. Come on, are you out there? He plants the first church in Jerusalem. See, I don't know how many stories have remained unwritten because his church and his people have refused to be restored. We've been prepared to live the life of setbacks and letdowns, but we've not allowed ourselves to lean in to the restorative power of the gospel because we think that once we're saved, we gotta earn our way back into restoration. If we fall, it's too late. We punish each other for our own fallenness. But I wanna say this to you, if the gospel was powerful to save you, it's powerful to restore you. And a resounding amen. If there were no conditions around you being conveyed into darkness and into light, there is no conditions around your restoration. The question is, do you want to be restored? Musicians, you can join me. The question is today, do you want to be restored? Because there is no contest, no question about what the gospel wants to do. The entire desire of the great shepherd is to restore you to your best life. Jewish shepherds, all they had in mind was to ensure that their sheep were living the best possible life they could. The entire desire of the gospel is that you be restored to the life Jesus died and rose again for you to live. 
I remember March 2013 very well. We were nine years into planning our church and, and someone was generous enough to pay for me to go on a study tour to Israel. And uh, it was the longest time I'd been away from the family since. And then, you know, just under three weeks and it was just such a God time for me. What people didn't know that is in that season, it was one of the lowest ebbs of my life. We were in a bump in, bump out sort of scenario in church for nine years, no end in sight, a few different things we needed to do as a church to find our own building had fallen through. Things were okay at church, but not, actually it wasn't that great. And, and here I was in, in 2013, I remember it was about day 14 of our tour and it was uh, our turn to go to Upper Galilee. And when we got to the site, we got to the spot where uh, scholars believe it's the historical site of where John 21 actually took place. It was that whole area. There's a stretch of about two, 300 meters offshore. And they feel that that was a stretch of the, the, the plot that Peter and his lineage was given to fish. And I remember that day, I kind of took myself away from the group for about an hour or so. Could have been even longer, I don't know. Lost track of time. But I was bawling like a baby. Same patch. Here I was, you know, like I'm like a church pastor. I'm like a Christian, like a full-time Christian. Like I was a Christian for a living, you know what I'm talking about? Like legit. And I was on the shores. Felt like I'd been a letdown, wasn't leading all that well stuff was going on personally I felt like a bit of a failure it just life was clunky it was hard life had happened as I was in right in the middle of his early intervention therapy stuff and just just stuff that was weighing so heavily on me I remember in that moment the Lord gave me two passages of scripture one was the 23rd Psalm which I read at the start of this message and the second was John chapter 21 and I just cried and cried and cried because I knew that even at my age and stage of walking with the Lord for so long, leading a church. I was not above the restoration power of God. I needed it. And no matter how much of a failure I felt, I was not beyond the restorative power of God either. And I remember the Lord just speaking to me and saying, I'm here and I've always been about restoration. If you just read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about restoring humanity back into relationship with me. The whole thing of I'm coming back for the bride, unblemished, it's restorative. I'm asking you today, Ken, do you want to be restored? Because the gospel still has power and it's still at work in your life, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. I just got a sense today that for those of us who are believers, Christians, maybe there are areas in your life that you know that you are not where you need to be in God. Lean into the restorative power of the gospel. See, we all need restoration. If you're here today and you know that you're not as passionate about Him today as you were last week, you need restoration. It's as simple as that. If you're here today and you know that there are some things in God that you were really passionate about two years ago, but you know now no longer, you need the restoration of God. If you're here today and maybe there's things in your heart that you're carrying that are weighty, and you know that it's inhibiting your walk with Him, but you weren't like that a year ago. You were light and free. You need the restoration of God. You understand what I'm talking about? None of us are beyond that. 
Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.